not only remember yourself as God wants to speak to your heart today and those around you right now, because this is right, right here before us, but at the same time, there are needs all over the world, and I call your attention to what's going on in Texas during these last few days. We know we've been through that uh, here if you've lived in Florida very long, and I know there's uh, churches without buildings. There's people that without homes that can't, that can't meet for worship today. In fact, they could not even get ready to go to church as we were privileged to do this morning. And so let's remember them right now. Father, we come to you in prayer in the sweet name of Jesus, the powerful name, the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. We pray for those, Lord, that are in Texas. We pray, God, for the victims. God, I pray that you would meet them at their point of need. Our country, our churches would come to their rescue uh, very quickly. And, uh, Lord, I pray for the people that were involved and even those that escaped unscathed, that, Lord, they would, they would look at this powerful storm that came their way and recognize the power that is in nature that God has placed there. And because, God, you are powerful, you can also overcome all things. And I pray, God, that you would use this time to draw them to yourself. I pray, God, that you would use this time in the Word this morning to draw us to you and give us some answers that maybe we're looking for that nobody else knows really that we're looking for that answer. And God, I pray that you be personal to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been in a series of messages on seven enemies of our faith and how to defeat them. Now, last week we were looking at some things, but next week we're going to be looking at something really unusual that you don't hear talked about very much, and that is the mistakes that we make in life. Now, you've heard people talk, preachers talk, pastors talk about maybe sin many, many times. But what about the mistakes? What about the things that you felt like you were maybe even in the will of God, but boy, they just didn't turn out the way you thought they would at all. And you're living in those mistakes right now. What about those taking away from God and the potential it has to take us away from the Lord? And what can we do to come back to, to learn from it and to start again at that point and defeat those mistakes. But this morning, I want to look at something that's universal to everybody because I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever come to a place in your life where you were really discouraged or even upset with God because you prayed for something and it was important to you and it just did not come true? And God, it just seemed like God did not answer that prayer. Now, we're looking, as we open up our Bibles this morning, to Luke chapter 11. And in Luke chapter 11, we read where the disciples were, were like that, really. They were not discouraged, but they were wondering. They were frustrated with their own prayer life. Now, here are the people that are walking with Jesus, and they were asking Jesus in verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Maybe you're like Haman. We found in Psalm 88. Where, where he said, Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you to incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles. And my life draws near to Sheol, or the grave. But I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayers come before you, O oh Lord. Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? And if you're familiar with the Bible, you know the, stories of, the story of Job and all the adversity, circumstances that he went through. 
He said this, call, I call to you, Lord, but you never answer. And when I pray, you pay no attention. Maybe you felt like that. And that's why the, this enemy of unanswered prayer is so destructive sometimes to the Christian life. Maybe you feel like, and I don't want to read a lot of stuff this morning, but maybe you feel like uh, this man that was talking to Ravi Zacharias. Now, Ravi Zacharias is um, a teacher. Uh, he's an, what they call an apologist or a Christian philosopher. And he's also an author of many, many different books on uh, the, about atheism and about against atheism. But someone came to him and said this. I sat in my car talking about a series of heartbreaks this man had experienced. There were just a few things I wanted in life, he said. None of them have turned out the way I prayed. I wanted my parents to live until at least I was able to stand on my own and they could watch my children grow up. It didn't happen. I wanted my marriage to succeed, and it didn't. I wanted my children to grow up and be grateful for what God has given them, but that didn't happen. I wanted my business to prosper, and it didn't. Not only have my prayers amounted to nothing, the exact opposite has happened. Don't even ask me if you can pray for me. I am left with no trust of any kind in such things. What do you say? Ravi Zacharias replied to this. I felt two emotions rising up within me as I listened. The first one was of a genuine sorrow. He felt that he had tried, that he had done his part, and that God hadn't lived up to his end of the deal. The second emotion was one of helplessness as I wondered where to begin in trying to help this man. As we look at this Sermon on the Plain, as they call it in Luke, and I take this in Luke chapter 11 rather than Matthew 6, which talks about the Sermon on the Mount, because of this one phrase. When, because the disciples in this passage, it says, came to Jesus and said, Lord, you just came from praying. You are pouring out your heart to the Father. Teach us to pray. And he began to teach them. And so we look at this passage, and we look at the Lord's Prayer, as it's often called, and the model prayer at least, and as we look at this, we find some insight, one in particular, that's really going to change our perspective, I believe, on what we think about prayer and what it's all about. And I want us to look this morning at three things, the problem, the platform, that's the key, and then the pattern that we, as we apply the platform. So first of all, the problem. Look in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. So let's look at this. Prayer, let me give you a definition, is simply offering up our desires to God in the context, and here's the key, of relationship. It's a conversation with God. Now, I'm not saying, and some pastors would say, boy, if you do not, if you're not a believer, then you don't have but one prayer, and that's the sinner's prayer inviting Jesus into your heart. But yet, I look in the Bible, and I do find a few exceptions where God answered the prayer of a person that wasn't following the Lord, including Jonah. I don't see how we can possibly say that Jonah was really that much of a man of God and God answered his prayer. But it's not the pattern at all. In fact, there's no covenant here. There's no relationship here. It's very odd, you might say, for God to do that because he answers prayer in relationship, in the context of a relationship. Now, we know that people pray. Whether you think, oh, I never pray. 
Man, I never humble myself before God. I don't believe in that anymore. And just like this man, this man in Ravi Zacharias' story said, I'll never pray. Basically, he says, don't even pray for me. But yet at the same time, you know he came to Ravi Zacharias for answers in his life. And you know, when he got in a foxhole, he prayed. You know, you've heard that phrase before, right? There are no atheists in, in foxholes. You've heard that? I think that's true. Uh, Mark Twain, who was a renowned and uh, very much professing atheist, said when his wife was on her deathbed, he said this, and I quote, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. You see, people feel like somewhere within their heart, the Bible says in Romans 1, God has placed the knowledge of God in our heart. And when we get desperate, we turn to him, even though we may not like the answers and we may not feel like he's going to answer and we're pleading and begging with him, and yet we still pray. Now, here's the problem. You know, the problem is, is uh, it's like the um, good illustration of this is, is the, the experiment they did with a mouse. And they had a mouse run through a, a maze. At the end of the maze, they gave him a prize. Guess what that was? Yes, it was a banana. No, it was cheese. And uh, they gave him cheese at the end of the maze. And so day after day after day, he would find his way through, and he got very proficient at going through this thing. You can imagine. He was just flying right through the maze. He knew exactly where to go. Pretty smart mouse. And he got the cheese. Well, one day, instead of getting the cheese when he reached the end of it, they sprayed water in his face. Well, he was surprised about that. Kind of went back, didn't get his cheese. Next day, he tried it again, got cheese. Next day, got water. Next day, got cheese. Kind of back and forth. He just never knew when he was going to get the cheese, when he was going to get the water in the face. So finally, he just quit going. He wanted the cheese, but he couldn't stand the water in his face. The number one reason why we don't pray is because we don't get enough answers. We just don't get the answers we feel like we need the answers that we are looking for. As this man said, nothing turned out the way he wanted it to turn out. And so when he did not see the results that he was looking for, he automatically felt like God was simply just not answer, answering his prayers. And so I, uh, I remember, uh, even when I was a young believer, people were saying there are three possible answers to prayer. If you know these, say them with me. Yes. No, wait, man, isn't that convenient for God? You know, yes, no, and wait. Well, I pray something, and yes, I get it, and if I get it, that, oh, that was God. If I don't get it, well, God didn't, that wasn't God's will. You know, we keep throwing that out. And a lot of people that are skeptics saying, well, you know, that just lets God off the hook, or we're going to wait for it. And somehow, through circumstances, it's all going to come to, you know, coincidental to a skeptic, it's going to come into play Yes, no, wait. Yes, this is your answer to prayer. You prayed in the will of God and you get it. No, we'll go over why God would say no in just a few minutes. And then wait. And you think, why in the world should I wait? Now, I know that we don't feel really like God is like should be a genie in a lamp. But sometimes we sort of look at it that way. You know, if I rub the lamp the genie, and, and God comes out of the lamp I've done good stuff. You know, you think, I've, I've given money in, to the church and, and to the poor, and I've, I've served the Lord, and I've served God in my community, and I've done all the right things, and God, you want to give this to me. And so it's like rubbing, rubbing the lamp, but we understand that if God were to answer all those prayers, it would be kind of disastrous sometimes in our life. 
But on the other hand, we feel like, well, he ought to answer something, right? And um, I remember when I was um, younger, George Carlin was a popular comedian. Now, you want to listen to some of his stuff. It's really kind of bad stuff. But some of the cleaner stuff was very, very funny. It's on Johnny Carson a lot. I'm kind of telling my age here a little bit. You know, I'm just watching the reruns, folks. <laughs> you know, no. Um, but uh, it's very funny. But I saw this one thing and uh, back when TV began to get kind of loose on things. And he was saying, you know, he didn't, he didn't pray to God anymore, didn't believe in God anymore. He's beginning to make fun of Christians. In fact, really this whole segment of his whole act was against us. And he says, uh, well, somebody asked, well, George, who do you pray to? And he says, Joe Pesci. Now, he's an old actor, and I'm not even sure he's around anymore. Comedian. And, uh, well, how's that going for you? Well, it's about like you Christians, 50-50. And I thought to myself, two things. One, I thought, man, that's so blasphemous. And secondly, I thought, 50-50 is pretty good. Got to get Joe's number, you know. And, and you think, I mean, wouldn't you think every, half the prayers you ask God would be, boom, genie in a lamp, just comes out, poof, there it is. So what's the problem? The problem is we're not understanding that it's answers to prayer within a relationship. Let's look at that relationship because it says here, when we address, we address him as our father. Now I want to skip down to verse uh, 5 real quickly because as we do that, I want us to see what he's talking about here. And he said to them, which one of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend... Lend me three loaves. Now, keep in mind, this is kind of in the middle of the night. It's not an emergency. He just, he has, you know, he wants something to eat. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing except before him. Now, even though this is customary, even though he was supposed to put a meal down before him, you don't go in the middle of the night to ask someone about this. And he, <clears throat> he said, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, that he will not get up. And give you anything because he is, he is your friend, yet because of his impudence, he will arise and give him whatever he needs. For because of his boldness, his persistence. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For one, everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be open. There's a promise from God. He explains it. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or what if he asks for an egg and he will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, just simply saying, hey, look, we're all sinners. We've all done wrong. Know how much to give good gifts to your children. And he acknowledges that. You basically, if you're a good father, you give good gifts to your children. How much more... Will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, a parable is not an allegory. That's very important to understand. Many parables of Jesus, many parables other than Jesus' parables in the Bible. An allegory is when everything stands for something. Oh, the, the, uh, the, the man stood, stands for this guy, you asking. And, and uh, the man who would not give him the food, oh, that stands for the Father. That stands for God. It's not about that at all. It's about a parable teaches one thing. And the one thing is this word that uh, the ESV translate impudence. And some of your translations says, pers say persistence or boldness. 
But what this verse means is shameless. Just shamelessly knocking at the door. What? It's in the middle of the night. This is ridiculous. Nobody does this. And you knock again. Now, look, you were dumb to start with. Now you're really out there. It's shameless. It's rude type prayer. Persistence, that persistent. Now, what is the correlation that he's making here? The first word, father. Now, when you have relationships in your life, there's not too many relationships that come up where really someone can be shameless and rude in asking you something. If an adult interrupts another conversation and asks you for something, you may even turn to them in somewhat of an impatience with yourself and you could could you just wait until I finish talking to this person? That per, what? Why you're interrupting the conversation? You're being what? Rude. However, if you had a five-year-old daughter who was asking you for something and interrupting, you may even say to her, "Honey, you are interrupting," and make that a lesson. But she's persistent. You heard about the, the little boy who says, uh, keeps asking his dad, Dad, could you come upstairs and bring me a glass of water? He says, go to, go to sleep. You're in bed. I'm not bringing you any water. And he keeps asking. He says, Dad, would you bring me some water? Dad, would you bring Dad, would you bring He says, son, if you say one more word, I'm going to come up there and spank you. So there's a long pause. He said, Daddy, when you come up here and spank me, would you bring me a glass of water? <laughs> Just persistence shameless. Who can do that? You know, there you are, you're sleeping, and somebody is right in your face when you wake up all of a sudden. And it's your five, four, five-year-old daughter. And she says, Daddy, would you give me a glass of water? And you're just sort of startled. Sure, honey. So you get up, it's four o'clock in the morning, you get her a glass of water, you put her back to bed. Nobody can. If your wife turn to you or say say if your ladies if your husband turned to you and say honey it's four o'clock in the morning I know but would you give me a glass of water <laughs> first thing you would ask are you sick are you okay should I call the hospital no I'm, I'm just too tired to get up would you give me a glass of water you would wake up in a hurry wouldn't you ladies <laughs> and uh, give him a piece of your mind but <laughs> sure because nobody can do that nobody can do that except for in that child-father relationship. And this is what Jesus is teaching here. He says, our father, we come to God oftentimes as not a father. But the Bible says this, in relationship with all this, it says this, John 1, 12, listen to this verse. But all that receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. How do we become the children of God? Romans 8, 15. For we, he did not receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, the word Abba means dada. It's a rep repetitive thing in, in the original language. It, it means that close relationship that you're just like a little child before God, but the problem in our prayer life is we don't act toward God as a father. Now, listen, let's, let's think about it for just a moment. When you approach God, when you and I approach God, we most of the time approach him as a boss. Now, I'm not saying he's not the boss. I'm not saying he's not Lord. He's Lord of the universe. He ought to be Lord of your life. But, hey, I'm a pastor, 
I have a staff. I don't want Tim Dix, for example, to look at me first and foremost, oh, he's the boss. I'd like for him to look at me as, as a pastor, as his pastor. I would like for my staff to look at me as probably a friend before I would say, oh, I'm the boss and you're just going to do what I tell you to do. Now, sometimes as a boss, you have to do that. And you are the boss if you are, have a business. But do you want to really be looked at that? Well, maybe you do, but God doesn't. Now, here's the point of a boss-employee relationship. Here's the problem. If I go to work for you, I expect to get what? Paid. I expect the pay. I expect maybe some benefits or a bonus. Even if I'm under contract and I'm working for you, if I'm a handyman, well, that's a stretch. If I'm a handyman and I come to your place and I work on your pool or something, I expect to what? Get paid. Well, you see, when I'm working for God, I expect to get paid. I'm, I'm giving to God. I'm serving God. I'm come, My goodness, I'm coming to church. I'm supposed to be a Christian. You know, I'm supposed to be a child of God. You know, and so I've worked for it, and I deserve it. God, you need to answer my prayer because I deserve it. But that's not the relationship here in the Bible. The relationship of our prayer life is one of being an adopted child. And that's the key. We're an adopted child. Abraham understood this. He, he knew what it was like to have shameless, rude prayer. How do I know that? Well, the Lord showed up. Angel showed up. Said, hey, we're going to go into Sodom and destroy Sodom because of their sin. And Abraham knew all about it. He didn't live that far from Sodom. And he said, well, let me ask you something. He said, would you destroy Sodom if they had 50 righteous Wow, that's bold. When you approach God, he's already made up his mind to do something, it looks like, and you approach him. And he's, okay, 50 people. If, you can find, if I can find 50 righteous people, and he says, well, what about 40? Wow. Now we're getting brave. 40, okay. If I can, because of your prayer, <clears throat> if I can find 40, I won't destroy the city. What about 30? What about 20? He got down to 10. Talk about rude, shameless prayer. And so, somebody, yeah, but I don't understand, Pastor. Why in the world would God either say no or make me wait on anything? I mean, time's a wasting. Life is short. I'm praying for something. I'm praying for my lost loved one. I'm praying for a job. I'm praying for a career. I'm praying for a spouse. Why should I have to wait? Well, I don't have an exhaustive list. Let me give you three or four reasons real quickly. First of all, it reveals our maturity on our ability to wait on God. Now you say, well, I'm not a baby Christian. You're comparing me to a baby Christian. I've been a Christian for five years. Well, okay, you're five years old. Can you imagine giving a genie lamp, if there was such a thing, to a five-year-old and say, you have three wishes? Man, you need not just get out of town. you got to get out of the state, maybe get out of this world because you don't know what's going to happen. So it reveals something of our maturity as God is our Father. And God is not, and a mature child understands this, God is not a grandfather. And a mature child understands the difference between the two. 
See, I'm a, grand, I'm a father and I'm also a grandfather. When my kids were being raised up, okay, I, w- I was stern with them at times. I would say no to them at times. We've had our three, uh, three of our grandchildren visit with us here the last few weeks. And uh, one of them is a three-year-old little girl. And she's, you know, she's sweet as she can be. She's pretty. And she's also, uh, you know, she can get what she wants sometimes, you know. And so she wanted some of these gummy bears. I'm sorry, they weren't bears. They were sharks. Anyway, gummy sharks. And so anyway, so I gave her a bag, I think called Shark Bites. Does that sound right? Shark Bites. Anyway, I gave her a pack of those, and she ate them. About an hour later, she wanted some more. And I was about to say, okay. And Pam, who got instructions, you know, from uh, the parents, uh, said, no, you've already had a pack of those. You can't eat those or spoil your supper. But see, I was all ready to say, you know, one, two, three packs, you know, hey, let's get you fired up. And uh, <laughs> why? Because I'm not, I'm the grandfather, I'm not responsible. I am not responsible for the raising of my grandchildren. But not only that, but I just don't have the time with them that their parents do. And especially with us, they're over in England most of the time. When they leave this week, I won't see them for probably six months. I have limited time. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to give them what I can give them. Go into a toy store. Hey, what do you want? I would never do that with my children unless it was a birthday. Why? Because I was responsible for my children and I had a lot of time with them. God is saying, I'm responsible for your life. Not only that, but I have an eternity to spend with you. And you need to grow in your relationship with him. And waiting on the Lord causes us to mature. It helps us appreciate what we have. And it helps us understand what we want. Again, a few weeks ago when they first got here, we took our grandkids into Toys R Us. Don't want to advertise any one store. But you understand that, that toy store, right? Man, they are out to get you. You know? And the first thing they see, you know, our oldest one. He'll walk right through, doesn't want that. He knows he can get one thing. He's shopping around the store. He doesn't hardly pick up anything until he's ready to buy. But the youngest one grabs the first thing she sees, and she just wants it bad. And, you know, maybe it's a pack of gum. It doesn't matter. Whatever is the first thing she saw. And that's the way we do with God. When we're, we don't have the maturity in the Lord, when we haven't grown through that waiting process and that courageous process, we don't know what we want. Well, do you want? The, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. God, I just got to have it. I just got to have it. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, son. If you just wait and leave the, the gum here, there's a bicycle waiting for you in the middle of the store. There's something better, a lot better. And so as we look at this, We have to understand that God answers prayer. I have many answers to prayer in my life, many of them. I was once a diabetic. I'm 22 years old. I was healed of that. I I didn't go to a faith healer. I just simply prayed, and God healed me. There's been other times when God has not answered my prayer the way I wanted it to be asked. And I didn't understand back then that it it was all about the fatherhood 
of God. So how do we apply this? He applies it in the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. When you pray, you say, Father, hallowed be your name. Lord, I want to honor you. I want to honor your holy name. Now, there's a couple of things about the name of Christ. We always pray in the name of Jesus. In the name of, and, and that's not something you have to say, but it's something you have to do. When you're talking about a name, you're talking about the will of God. Listen to what, John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, what does that mean, in his name? That means in his will. It means according to a plan, you know, we, we have plans. You have plans for your family. You have plans for your business. You maybe have a long-range plan. God has a plan of salvation that we're sinners separated from God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. He was resurrected on the third day. We need to receive him into our heart. He has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 talks about that. The plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. He has a plan. He has a name. It's like if you can just imagine you're signing off on something, the Declaration of Independence. Those men who signed the Declaration of Independence were putting their name on something. They were ratifying something. This is something you're praying for that God has ratified in your life. But then also it means in the name of Jesus, you're doing it. God is, is answering your prayer for a specific purpose, a reason. There's a reason why we have access, and that's through the name of Jesus. I remember all these children illustrations here, but this is a father-child uh, sermon. But um, I remember when um, the father of the three that we have from England right now, Jared, was a little boy. He was sort of back then a, a real pie, not that he's not now, but he was a real pied piper. And uh, we, he would invite 15 kids to his birthday party and 20, 22 would show up, that kind of thing. Well, we were at play, a place called Chuck E. Cheese. If you're a parent, uh, you know that this place is uh, there to get, I mean, they're, they're going to get some money out of you. And, uh, you know, but they're a fun place for kids to go. So we had, back when we were in Atlanta, there was a Chuck E. Cheese right down the road from us, uh, about a mile. And we had uh, his birthday party. I think it was about a sixth birthday party there. And uh, we had about 20 kids there, and I had to buy pizzas for everybody. And when you buy pizzas and then you buy a cake, they give you tokens, so many tokens for each child. So I was there kind of dividing them up, saying, okay, this, and, and trying to figure out how many tokens I could give each child to go and play games. And um, this one, I was giving them out, giving them out, giving them out. And this one little boy looked at me, and I said, do I know you? And uh, I had no idea who this child was. And Jared just came running up and he said, it's okay, Dad, he's with me. He's my new friend. I guess, you know, he expected me to buy tokens for everybody in the place. I tell you what I did. I took out those tokens, and I gave that little boy the tokens, not because his name was Johnny, but because my son's name is Jared. I gave him tokens because of my son. Why does God answer our... What, what, is, the per, what is the platform? The platform is the fatherhood of God in the name of Jesus because not what God has, what we have done for God, but what Jesus has done already for us. You see, this is prayer. Prayer is not earning something. Prayer is not getting something. 
because of what we've done. God will listen to me because I, I, have, I have not earned it, but because Jesus Christ has earned it for me. Well, let's look. Secondly, as we look in this outline, the Father who has power, it says his kingdom come. And then in Matthew 6, it says his will be done. And so here we find really, if I could just bring this out, three reasons why God would even say no or wait to our prayer. And it comes right out of the book of Habakkuk. Three things. Number one, something different in the plan of God. It may not be better. It just may be something just different in God's plan for your life and for the lives of others because every prayer that he answers for us affects other people and other things. Number two, something better in the plan of God. Instead of marrying the one that you've been praying for and praying for, and pray, he's got something better for you and something that would be more compatible for you. Number three, something hindering the plan of God. Look with me in, in the last few verses. And forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us the sins, and lead us not in temptation. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, hand, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, or his ear dull that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. So there's something different, there's something better, or there's something hindering. could be sin in our life. Many people have come to me, so, boy, I've done this, but, you know, are you walking with the Lord? And a lot of times they are not. There's sin in their life. And so, therefore, God does not hear the prayer, at least not to answer it. But there's another thing that may hinder it, and that is spiritual warfare that we've been talking about. And we'll be talking more about that on September 10th on Sunday evening in our um, um, series on angels and demons. So I'll save the rest of that till then. But here we find also we need a father we can trust. It says, thy will be done. Do you trust God to answer the right prayers? I, I had a situation happen to me several years ago that really, um, you, you know, some things happen to your life that really kind of, your life kind of turns on it. And you keep coming back to that over and over and over again. And the same lesson, and God reminds you, remember that lesson that you've learned. I was pastoring another church before I came here, and we planted the church in Atlanta, Georgia. And so, Started off with two, and we got to, uh, you know, 100 pretty quick. But then we, we began to kind of slow down. And we probably after about eight years there, we were running about 325 people when we came here. And so uh, during that time, I had a, a young intern. And at first, he came for nothing. He, he was out in the business world. He just wanted to learn the ministry before he went off to seminary. And so we became really, really close. I trained him in the ministry. I mentored him, had time to do that, and he became uh, my first full-time staff person. I had other people that were part-time, but he was really the first full-time guy we had. And he came to my office one day, and he said, you know, so-and-so, and I knew the guy over in Augusta, and uh, he said he's offered me a position. It's kind of like a little promotion and a much, much bigger church, twice the size. Well, that happens. So that happens in ministry. You know, young guys, they, they get an opportunity and they take it, new challenges. But I tell you what, I was not really happy with God. I tried to do myself my best to get through that meeting while becoming upset. But I tell you what, I really had a meeting with God. And as I told the first 
hour, and maybe I shouldn't even have to say this, but, you know, I didn't cuss, but I came awfully close to wanting to do that. I was really, really upset. I've done all this, God. I've been training this guy. I'm finally getting some help in the ministry. I'm exhausted doing this. I finally got some help. We were on a line. We were aligned, we, we were aligned together. We were doing the same work together, and now he's leaving just because somebody offered him a better position. And God spoke to my heart, and he said, Dwayne, the problem with you is that you are not satisfied with my will for your life. And I found, and he ended up not leaving. I, I got over it. He ended up not leaving, and that was a good God's plan for his life because after I came here, he went off to seminary, and so that would, he wouldn't have been able to go because he couldn't have stayed maybe a year or so at, at a place and then just left. But <clears throat> God spoke to my heart, and every time I come back to a place where I said, God, you didn't answer my prayer. God didn't work. That God, this isn't working. He keeps coming to me back. You know, you're not satisfied with my will for your life again. I've come to find out. I know that the butterfly effect may not really work as far as the butterflies flapping or whatever, birds flapping over in Africa, and it makes a difference even in our weather over here and the waves and the wind because of the rippling effect. But I know in our lives something may be happening to me that brings me through adversity that is not only going to be helping me, but somewhere down the line, 10 years from now, it's going to help somebody else. Or someone over in Africa is going to get blessed or have an answer to prayer. And I don't even know them, and I'll never know them. But because of the rippling effect, it has an effect in our life. Can we trust God with that? Can we say, God, I don't need to have a genie here. I need a father. I need a father who knows best for me. And a father that I, I can place my trust in, knowing that all, all of our answers can't be yes. It just, just can't be. He says, Lord, I just want to, verse 3, give us this day our daily bread. I just want to depend on you, God. Every day. Now, it doesn't mean that God can't bless you with a retirement fund. It just simply means every day I want to be able to come and depend on you. And the Father, we need a Father who knows when to bless. Who knows when to do it. Again, Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, when, when do those gifts come? They come in God's timing, God's way. Tim Keller has said it best. I love this quote. God will give you all you would ask when you pray if you knew what he knows. If you knew what he knows, you would see that he's making the right decisions for your life. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it tells us very plainly that, it, those, that faith is all about, all about coming to God and believing that he is and that he is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You say, well, Pastor, now you've been, at, you know, God is said, wait for you, wait on you, you know, a few times. And, but are you really going through what I'm going through? I don't know. I don't know if I've ever been through what you're going through. And I don't know if you've ever been through what, what I've gone through. We're all unique. 
We all come from a different perspective in life. It's difficult at different degrees and different times maybe for all of us. But know this. Jesus Christ was told no by the Father. When he went, he left the table with the disciples that night. The Bible says he went out into the garden to pray. And he said, oh Lord, if this cup of wrath could pass from me. Lord, I pray that you would do it, but not my will. Your will be done. But God, if there's any way I don't have to die on the cross tomorrow, I pray that you would make it happen. He prayed that three times, and all three times God told him no. And he died on the cross. But know this, because Jesus Christ was told no by the Father, the Father can now tell us yes. Because God did not answer Jesus' prayer, he can now answer our prayer because Jesus Christ died not only for our sins, but Jesus Christ ultimately died so we could call God our Father. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.